0: So, Revelation chapter 2, we're still going to be reading about the church in Ephesus. Um, Two things have already come out of this church. One of the things that we read was that Jesus said, I'm proud of your endurance, your perseverance. That word for endurance or patience there is a word that means to remain behind. Like you'd leave a, a garrison, you'd leave a unit behind to hold ground. And we talked about the fact that so often we think overcoming means we have to take new ground or new territory, and there's, there's times for that. Certainly that's part of it. Uh, Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against this church. So the church is by nature uh, an offensive, moving forward unit. But there's something to be said for holding the ground that God gave you, for the patient enduring, for not giving up when things got hard. That's overcoming as well. Sometimes we look around and we see people who are moving on ahead of us. I love what our friend Josh Bingle from, from Washington said to us when he was here in the summer, how he talked about the, the priests who stood in the middle of the River Jordan while all of Israel went into the Promised Land ahead of them. You know, they were, they were there to hold the ark, which symbolized the, and, and held the presence of God. And they were the first to go in the water. They were the first to go in the stream. But they were also the last to go into the promised land. And sometimes we, we think, you know, it's not fair that everybody's going ahead of me, right? It's not fair that, that this person's going and this person's going. Why is everything working out for them? And, and he brought out that great point that sometimes we think we're stuck when we're actually stationed. Sometimes we were meant to hold that ground. And just because you look around and you say, well, everybody else is stepping into things," thing. What, what's wrong with me? Sometimes the, your, your reward is coming because you stood instead of running away. You stood instead of giving up. You were not stuck. You were stationed. And so uh, in Revelation chapter 2, he, he, he applauds them for this. And then he says this, but this I have against you. And I, I think you'd probably be like me. You never want our king, our savior, our shepherd. You never want Jesus to say, I have something against you. And he's talking to redeemed New Covenant believers. But he says, I have something against you. And he doesn't say, you know, so I'm done with you. He, in fact, tells them how to correct it. He says, you've lost your first love. You've endured. He says, you've, you've not tolerated false apostles and false teachers. You've, you've, you've hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans. I hate, them. I hate the, their deeds as well. But he, he says, here's what you've done that you need to change. You've left your first love and he says, remember from where you've fallen. And in fact, let's read that in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5 says, or sorry, let's go back. Verse 2, I know your deeds. Once again, we said this before, but that word to know, if you dug into it, 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 it there's different words for know, for knowledge. Um, and this is one that, that, that sort of implies uh, that you know by observing, You've watched. He, he just said in chapter 1 that he's been walking amongst the churches. And he's observed some things. Of course, we know that Jesus is not just walking amongst us. We know he lives in us and he's everywhere. But he, he's, he's talking like, a, like someone who cares deeply. He says, I've walked among you and I've observed this. I've observed what you've done. I've observed your deeds. I've observed your toil, your hard labor, and your perseverance. That you cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my namesake. And you have not grown weary. And that's something to be pretty excited about. That they've endured for his namesake. They didn't endure because, well, you know, if we quit you know, we just feel like we wasted 10 years. You know, they, they don't say if we quit, then, then this guy's going to be disappointed. They endured for his name. And then he says, you haven't grown weary, but I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you've fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. We talked about this last week, about that first love, and and how valuable it is, Um, how irreplaceable that is, and and how you can mature and you can grow, but your love should grow. It shouldn't shouldn't wane, it shouldn't get stale, but it it should grow. In fact, uh, Paul writes that I pray that you would abound in love in all wisdom and discernment. You know, a whole bunch of the church throws their hat fully into discernment, but they've lost love. And what they end up being is just very judgmental, critical people. You know what I mean? Love does not mean that you think everything's okay. Love, just, you, love, love is more in, interested in the building up of the church than proving I'm right. Love is, love, the Bible says love builds up, but knowledge puffs up. So puffed up people will probably get popped at some point. You know, that's, it's, that's what's going to happen. But love builds, love edifies. And so as we grow in love, we should be growing in wisdom and knowledge and discernment, but these things need to grow together, and love, above all, that is the greatest. There's only one, I mean, you know, we we talk about, sometimes we think that we're out of balance. I've heard people lately that say, you know, enough with the love stuff, let's just move on. Yeah, you know, we need to talk about other things. I agree, we need to talk about other things, but you know, the scripture says God is love. It doesn't say God is strength. It doesn't say God is, I mean, there, there is one thing that he's defined by, and that is love. Now, the problem is, is that we've taken our definition of love and said, if God is love, and this is my definition of love, then God must be like this. But that's wrong, because that's our definition of love. Instead, we should say, I need to learn what love is, so let me look at God, because God is love, so if I look at him and how he says he is, I'll know what love is. So Satan is not a creator, we know that, right? He can't create anything. He's never created anything. All he can do is twist and pervert things. So he's perverted love. He's perverted, I mean, you think about it. I mean, you, you think about the people that are most opposed to the, to the message of Christianity, the message of the Bible right now. They will have love on their bumper sticker. And I'm talking about all different types of people. I'm not talking about just one group, but groups of people from the left to the right. Everybody claims to love. Love. The question is, what is that love? And one thing we know, you can identify love by looking at Jesus. That's love. Jesus is perfect love. The cross is the greatest description of love we've ever seen. And when we look at that, we get it. And so it's very cheap for us to say we love without, without being willing to sacrifice or give something of ourselves. Love will give itself and lay itself down. When I read this, I'm reminded and we... we got into this a little bit um, last week, but we're reminded that one of the greatest threats in the last days is not ISIS. One of the greatest threats in the last days is not some dictator that's going to rise up. One of the greatest threats in the last days is that we lose our love. Jesus said, in the last days, men's love will grow cold. The hearts will fail. We read from Jude last week where he says, In the last days, all these things will happen, and these people will come in, and all this will happen, but you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Philippians 2 says, make my joy complete by being of the same spirit, the the intent on one purpose, maintaining the same love. There is a whole bunch of scripture in the New Testament that talks about keeping the love you got fighting for it, maintaining it, not, not letting it grow cold, not letting it grow stale, not letting it be taken away. Because in Ephesians, here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is saying will happen if you don't get this right. I'll come and I'll remove your lampstand. And what is that lampstand? We, we talked about this. The church, the seven churches were lampstands, were lamps in Asia Minor, Right? So we're just seeing seven churches in one region of the world. He's not talking about Jerusalem. He's not talking about Rome. There's a lot of other churches. He's talking about seven churches in a certain region of which John was an apostle over these churches. So it's very fitting that Jesus would give him a message for these churches that he loves and that he's responsible for. If you were to look at a map of Asia Minor, you'd see that these churches are strategically laid out in sections in sectors where they were key cities in the area. And Ephesus was a coastal city of which every sort of new doctrine and new thought would come through Ephesus. And we talked about this, how Ephesus had become kind of the gateway to Asia Minor. And so if a new preacher came through, if they made it in Ephesus, they'd get gigs at every other church. So that's probably why it was so important that they tested apostles to see if they were, they were true or false. They tested. They didn't just let anybody roll through. But It's also important. Jesus says this, and we talked about, we got some Loon Lakers here. We talked about this in Loon Lake on Sunday, how in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, you're the light of the world, right? He, he has already said he's the light, but now he says you're the light. You are the light of the world. And he says, let your light shine. He says, and he said, don't, you don't hide a light under a basket. First of all, no one will see it. Second of all, it'll actually go out. We're not talking about electric light. We're talking about a lamp. If you hide it, if you cover it, if you smother it, it'll die. But he says, instead, you put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Well, you know, when we talk about house, sometimes we talk about this as, you know, the body of Christ is the house of the Lord, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I think when he says that this light is supposed to give light to everyone in the house, that we're talking about people that don't have light already. So we're meant to give light to Lloyd Minster. We're meant to give light to the people around that don't know Jesus. We're meant to shine something worth shining. And he says, if you do this, then if you do it in such a way, they'll give glory to God. They'll see your good works and they'll glorify your Father who is in heaven. He says, let your light shine in such a way that they do that. So there's a way to shine my light that they'd glorify me, and there's a way to shine my light that they'll glorify my Father. We should should shine our light and do what God's called us to do and and walk out that love in such a way that they see us, they see Jesus. Jesus said in John 17 that he'd put his love in us that the world would know and they'd see us loving one another and they'd see us loving Jesus. And somehow that love in us, working through us, the same love that the Father loved Jesus with, he loves us with, that love working through us and working in us and that unity that's created from it, that the world would know that we're in him, that he's in the Father and the Father's in him and he's in us. They begin to grasp that as we're looking at these people, we're seeing something more than these people. We're seeing Jesus, we're seeing God. So why would Jesus threaten to take away a lampstand? I don't think he's going to have one, left lamp, one less lampstand in the region. I think he's going to move it. If you can't shine the kind of light that demonstrates who I am, and guys, if we lose our love, that's exactly what's going to happen. We're shining something that's not reflecting the nature of Jesus. So he says, if you can't do that, I will move it. I will find someone who can shine. I will find I'll give the influence to someone else who will accurately reflect who I am. Unless you repent, unless you go back. You know, I want to read you something from two places in Scripture that, like we read from Jude, that in the last days this will happen. Here's what you do: keep yourself in the love of God. Build yourself up in the most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see what he says. In um, Paul's letter to Timothy, his second one, 2 Timothy, chapter 3. Because I just want to talk about, we, we talked last week about how to return to your first love, right? He says, remember. Remember that love, then go back and do what you did before. But now I want to talk to you about how do you maintain that love? Because we've read a lot of scriptures that say... Um, maintain this love, keep this love. How do I do that? When I read uh, those seven letters that we're reading through in Revelation, each of them is, is encouraged to overcome, but they're told, this is what you need to do to overcome. Next, the next church we're going to come upon is Smyrna, and Jesus has nothing bad to say about these guys. In, in fact, this is a church that's been most heavily hit by persecution. They've been hit with abject poverty and he says even though it doesn't matter how poor you are you're rich and he tells them I'm proud of you you're doing well you keep going then he says overcome so overcoming to the Ephesian church meant you need to return your first love overcoming to the Smyrna church meant you need to not lose your faith in a time of trial you know in each of these churches there's something they've got to hold on to to overcome And here, Paul writes to Timothy in chapter 3, and he says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, they'll be lovers of money, they'll be boastful, they'll be arrogant, they'll be revilers, they'll be disobedient to parents, they'll be ungrateful, they'll be unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, Brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they've denied its power, avoid such men as these. I want you to see what he says when he says, right near the end, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In fact, he really points out that they're loving the wrong things and they're missing out on loving the right things. Sometimes losing the love that God gave us is, is almost as much about misplacing our love as, as, as losing it all outright. Sometimes it's loving the wrong things have, has caused us to lose our true love. I, I want you to see what he says. He, notice some of these things. He says men will be, in fact, he says if there are three things they'll love, that, that's going to be a problem. It's weird, he's saying they're unloving. That's one of the things he has against them. They're unloving. He says right here, he says they are ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Now for somebody who's unloving, he names three things that they do love. But these three things have robbed them of true love. What does he say? He says they they, they love self, they love money, and they love pleasure. And these things have stolen from them the love that they were meant to have for people and the love they were meant to have for God. Because this is not the love of God that they're feeling. You know what I mean? They've misplaced their love. They've fallen in love with the wrong stuff. When we misplace our love, when we love things that aren't worthy to love, listen, there's nothing wrong with you having money. But if you fall in love with it, you fall in love with something stupid. There's nothing wrong with, you You know, we have to know that God loves us and Jesus loves us and we love one another. But lover of self means I put myself first. That's a problem. It's going to rob the the love of Jesus from you. Lovers of pleasure, listen, David said, in your presence are pleasures everlasting. I believe there's a real pleasure that comes from God. But what he's talking about is that need to do whatever feels good to me. I will put that first. I will will put my physical needs, I will put my emotional needs ahead of everything and everybody. He says they've loved that instead of loving God. It's it's crazy to me, not crazy, but it's, it's shocking to me that some of these things, one of these things just doesn't belong here, you know, some of these things don't, in our culture, don't seem to be equal. Like, would you say that unholy ungrateful, and like disobedient to parents, right? In our culture, people are like, oh, big deal, right? Disobedient to parents, not a big deal. It's indicating something deeper. So when you belong to a culture that glorifies disobeying your parents, in fact, you know, when we've when got a, a province that's passing laws in schools saying, we will keep your kids secrets from their parents, that might be an issue. We're training our kids to say, parents don't really know what's going on with me. I I don't need to, why would I listen to them? I need to do my own thing. And that stays with you for the rest of your life. Because we we know I'm a parent now, and I know I certainly don't know everything, and I certainly will never know everything. And I'll probably say some things to Moses that he'll have to go back and go, why did dad say that to me? And he'll probably have to say, dad didn't know what he was talking about. But there is an honor there. That if you'll honor these parents, if you'll honor their father and mother because in in honoring them, you're honoring God, that'll cause good fruit to come from your life. Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable. Irreconcilable, that's a tough one, isn't it? You refuse to be reconciled. I pastored church for 12 years and that's not a long time for some people. It's a long time for others. But in 12 years, I've seen a lot of folks that just will never be reconciled. Because whatever their issue is, is bigger. Whatever my issue is, is bigger than, than the love that should be between us. He says this. They're malicious gossips. They're without self-control. They're, brutals. They're hater, brutal. They're haters of good. They're treacherous. They're reckless. They're conceited. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They've held to a form of godliness. So on the outside, it it has the structure of godliness. It has a skeleton of godliness, but there's no life in it. A form of godliness is not necessarily godliness. A form of godliness could look like godliness to all the people around you. Jesus said that the Pharisees were whitewashed tombs, so from the outside you look pretty, but inside you're dying. And I've been in this place. Where I have had my act, my behavior was lining up, but the love was not thriving. And so there's no real fruit coming from it, right? You got plastic wax fruit nailed to branches, and you're saying, look, I'm bearing fruit. Well, you're not. You come to church, and you act like you have joy because you know how to play the act, right? I smile at everybody, and I even dance a little jig during praise and worship. It doesn't necessarily mean you have joy. When someone says, what's wrong, I, I give off the illusion of peace, but there's no real peace there. Well, I know how to act like I love people. I know, I've got that down. I've been in church all my life. I know how to act like I love you. And there's something to be said for acting like we love each other, <laughs> right? He does say, go do the deeds you did at first. So, you, know, you know, sometimes you've got to walk in love even when you don't necessarily feel like doing it. But there, there's a difference between playing the part and recognizing that, God, this is not coming from a real place in me. Peter says this, love one another from the heart. Love one another fervently from the heart. Above all things, keep fervent in your love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. I wonder what that means to me. I don't think the love covers a multitude of sins means that you are covering the fact that your friend murdered somebody in the backyard. I don't, and I use, I use an exaggeration just so you don't feel like I'm talking about your search situation. I don't feel like that's meaning that I'm, we're ignoring the problem. But if the word sin can mean a lot of different things, certainly it's One of the definitions you get more than most is that it's missing a mark, right? And I wonder if sometimes we set marks for one another, expectations, this is where you should be. And uh, people will eventually let us down. They'll disappoint us. So then (laughs) we're either ticked at them or disappointed in them because they've disappointed us, but love covers. Love makes up the distance. Love, love is the father that sees the son and runs to meet him. Love is Jesus taking our shame and our sin upon himself. Love doesn't pretend there's not a problem, but love covers the gap and says, we've missed it, but I'm here to, to, to grab your hand and we're going to walk through and we're going to get up together. And I want to read you something from 1 John as we Get to the end of this. Slowly to the end. I'm not making any promises. (laughs) 1 John. 1 John 15 says, actually, just to make a, a point, the verse before says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you've overcome the evil one. So there is that theme of overcoming popping up again. In fact, it pops up a lot in this letter from John because um, you have a bunch of people that are worried uh, that there's this spirit of Antichrist in the world and, and maybe we've got our doctrine wrong. Maybe we've been led astray. And it seems like the world's getting worse and what's gonna happen to us? Are we gonna fall into those same traps? And he says, you've already overcome. Guys, he says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You're born of God. He tells them, you've overcome them, little children. They're worried about this big, bad devil. He says, you've already overcome. Don't you know that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world? Don't worry about, don't worry about the fact that it's getting dark. Don't you know that you're the light? In fact, Ephesians 5, and and in our home groups this week, those of you who are in home groups will know this, we went through Ephesians 5 where it says this. It says, You are light. It says you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He doesn't just say you have light. He says you are light, and you guys know that light always overcomes and dispels darkness, always. Darkness is not a force that can overcome light, and so he says you are light, therefore walk as children of light. You gotta know who you are, and then you've gotta be who you are. You gotta walk it out. There's a difference between Knowing something, believing something, having something, and walking something. So he says, if you live by the Spirit, in Galatians 5 and 6, if you live by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Right. You are light, so walk as children of light. And he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. Just hang on for a minute. Wasn't this the same guy that quoted Jesus in his gospel as saying, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God so loved the world. Now, it just said don't love the world. When I first read this, I thought what every Christian who's trying to find a loophole thinks, the Greek will save me right? I'll go to the Greek. The Greek will rescue me here. So I said, surely it's a different kind of love. As we all know, we've been good Christians. We know there's four different Greek words for love in the Bible. This will save us. I'm sure it's another type of love. No, it's the same. It's that agape. It's that same love. Don't love the world. So what's the difference between this don't love the world, and God so loved the world. Well, you know, when God loved the world, he didn't fall in love with the system. He didn't fall in love with the way things were going. He loved the people. For God loved us so much that he gave his only son. John isn't saying don't, don't love people. He's talking about the world like, like so often The New Testament talks about the world, which is, and he's going to describe what that is in a minute, but he's talking about the system of the world, the way the world is. He's not talking about people. He's talking about falling in love with the way of the world. Don't fall in love with that because here's what's going to happen. Here's what's at risk. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see that it matters what you love? Because like we read in Paul's letter to Timothy, misplaced love will drain your true love. So here he says, don't love the world. If you love the world, you won't have the love of the Father. And guys, we can't shine the light of Jesus without the love of the Father. That's, that's who we are. That's who he is. Remember, Jesus, right before he talked about light, he talked about salt. And he says, you're the salt. You, you are to bring the flavor of God into the world. You are to preserve the world. These, these are things that God does. What is the flavor of God? What is it, the essence of who he is that we're bringing into the world? And he says, if salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? In other words, if it starts tasting like everything else, if you start looking like everybody else, if you start acting like everybody else, you've lost the very thing that made you God's seed in the world, the very thing that brought His flavor into the world. He says this He says, If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in this person. For all that is in the world, The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So he begins to tell you what he's talking about that you should not fall in love with. And it's very similar to what Paul said to Timothy. Don't fall in love with these things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. He said, this isn't what God put you on the earth for. Jesus said all this stuff will choke out the word in your life. So he says don't fall in love with the wrong things. You were made to love. You were made to to know his love. You were made to channel his love. You were made to walk in love. You were made for that first love because where did the first love come from? Let me just correct some, some misconceptions. That first love didn't come from the fact that you came in a church, you liked the music, and you felt this was a cool vibe, and there were people that said hi to you when they wouldn't say hi to you in the mall. That's not the first love we're talking about. It's not the honeymoon phase. What we're talking about when we're talking about that love is what he says, the love of God has been poured out into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. When you got born again, you felt a love, and you might convince yourself, if you were to go back and and try to explain your lukewarmness now, you can go back and say, I was just excited. It was a new thing. There were people that shook my hand, and, and I was caught up in the emotion of it, but that's not true. What you were experiencing was a reborn spirit where God's love had been poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. That's what you felt. You acted on it. In 1 John 2, he's telling us that the way to keep yourself in the love of the Father is not to fall in love with the things of the world. Stay in love with Jesus and stay in love with people. He says you got to watch because there's a temptation to draw you away because really, what are we talking about? We're talking about overcoming. How do I overcome in such a way to keep the love? If, If keeping my love that God gave me, keeping that love, keeping myself in his love, if that's what overcoming is, then there's something trying to rob it from me. Somebody's trying to take that love. Somebody's trying to Steal that love. And maybe, maybe the enemy comes to steal that love by straight out brute force attack. You've just been hurt so many times, you don't feel like you can love anymore. You can't go to church for too long without being hurt. Because the body of Christ is a place where we're told to open up our hearts. You don't open your heart like this at Orange Julius. You don't open your heart like this at the gas station. You don't even open your heart like this at work. The way we open our hearts and love one another here in a body, in a place like this, gives opportunity for at some point, someone to maybe poke you right where it's sensitive. Maybe hit you right where you were open. If you would trust that Jesus is able to guard your heart, then you won't close your heart. Like we said last week, Sometimes in the name of guarding our hearts, we've closed our hearts. We've stopped those wellsprings of life that we were meant to guard in the first place because we closed ourselves off. There's an innocence that's restored in the presence of God where we love from a pure heart, like somehow Jesus is able to keep loving people after people did the worst things to him. So maybe the enemies come that way, hurt, 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 and suddenly you just get closed off. But maybe, sometimes, it's more seductive. And it's not that, it's not the brute force attack. Maybe it's just slowly drawing your heart away to other things. And you just get distracted. And you fall in love with all the wrong things instead of loving what you first loved. Jesus said all these things could happen when the seed is sown. Some persecution arises and. It's the heat of the day because they have no root. That seed dries up, it dies. But he also said sometimes that seed's gone deep enough that it starts to bear fruit, but the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, the desires for other things begin to choke out the word. Don't guard your heart by closing your heart. Guard your heart. By staying in love with the right person, staying in love with him, and walking in love with his people. I want to read you this from a different translation. This spoke, this, this spoke to me when I read it. Um, I believe it's in the West. if I could bring it up here. No, oh, it might be the J.B. Phillips translation. Whatever it is, it's a good translation, I'll tell you that. Here we go. I love First John, John 1 because it's talking about walking in that light of who he is and he says this is how he translates paraphrases First John 2 he says never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it talks about giving your heart to something right never give your hearts to this world or to any of the things in it, a man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. For the whole world system, based as it is on men's primitive desires, their greedy ambitions, and the glamour of all that they think splendid, is not derived from the Father at all, but it's from the world itself. The world and all its passionate desires will one day disappear. But the man who is following God's will is part of the permanent and cannot die. If there's anything you ask me what I want to be, I want to be part of the permanent. I believe that light that he put in you is permanent. It's something eternal. And and you might think that love changes. You know, this is 2,000 years ago. Love's changed. How we love is different. No, we, we might speak a different language. There might be cultural, uh, just tiny things that change. Like, like I, might, I might not greet you with a holy kiss like he says to do. Because you might just find that a little offensive. But love itself has not changed. Because the love of God was never culturally motivated or culturally warped. The love of God comes from a timeless eternal place and a timeless eternal God. So the love of God is not swayed by culture. The love of God is not swayed by changing relationships. The love of God is stable. And the love of God will always bring us back to the cross. And show us this is what love looks like. For God so loved you that he did this. And as John says, brothers, then we ought to love one another the same way. This is how we overcome. One of the ways we're going to overcome is by keeping that love, fighting for it. You do a study, and I said this last week, but you do a study throughout the New Testament of when the last days are brought up, suspiciously around all of these verses, is a reminder to stay in love. Do this, love one another, he says, for love covers the whole law. Do this, knowing the time. Like I said, one of us needs to just write a book about the end times, it's just about love. (laughs) There'd be some disappointed people that bought it. (laughs) Hang on, it doesn't have the four horsemen in it. Someone else can write about the four horsemen. Can we pray that God would refresh in us the love that we had and the love that, we've, that love that we had when we the Holy Spirit poured out something in us that we didn't have before? When I first was called to be a pastor, I didn't want to be a pastor. I ran from it. I was a bit like Jonah going to Tarsus. But I had an experience where the Lord expanded my heart, and I felt love I never felt before. I, felt I was actually painful for a bit because I, just, I didn't know I could hold that. And I felt love directed, of course, love for God, but really what I hadn't had before was that depth of love for his people. And I don't think I could be pastoring today if not for that love. I think I would have given up a couple of hard times ago, you know? The hireling flees because he's a hireling but a good shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep. That's what Jesus showed us. He was the good shepherd. Let's stand up and we'll pray together.